You're tuned into the uh, Raised by Whoops fake radio show. I'm Glenn, and I got Andrew here with me. How's it going, man? I'm doing all right, man. Happy Saturday. Yeah, same to you. Are you in a, what kind of a, uh, you look like you're in a dark, a darkened room. There. I'm in a vocal booth, man. I'm, uh, I got this shit together. I'm, uh, I'm trying to kick off that uh, voiceover career, man. Oh, nice. Yeah, looks yeah. good. Yeah. So where do you have it set up? Um, like in, like just in your house? Yeah. Yeah. It's in, um, we're living with, uh, a guy that I work for and it's in his old office and it's like surrounded by cool gold records and platinum records on the wall and stuff. Uh, I can't say that I decorated, but, uh, he was very generous and let me put this thing in here. So it's, it's pretty inspiring to be around someone else's greatness, you know, while you're trying to, uh, not say dumb shit into a microphone. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Glad you got it set up. And yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the, um, and you got that couch put together the, from the previous episode. Oh man. Yeah, I did. I got it put together. It was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be a handyman, an ableman, as I like to say. And, uh, you know, putting shit together is part of the job. And I always, I've never been totally defeated by furniture before, but I've come close. And uh, that that was close. Yeah. But the <laughs> customers were satisfied at the end, though, right? Everything. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. They had a lot of empathy because they had to wrestle with the uh, the cushion, the, the mentioned cushion that was just too big for one person to handle uh, the customer and like their kid had to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They sent me a note like, oh, my God can't believe you even attempted this by yourself you're crazy yeah yeah that was good that that episode as i mentioned to you gave me a lot of anxiety just listening to it but because i mean i uh i don't know when it comes to assembling anything i my problem solving skills are uh, really really uh bad so yeah kudos to you for for doing that (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's a moment and I've been doing this since I was a kid, man. I remember the first big thing I assembled for somebody. It was a weight bench. And I was like, I, mean, I was really young. And uh, it came with instructions and laid out all the stuff. It was kind of exciting. And uh, ever since then, pretty much every single time, there's a moment where I've realized I did something backwards or out of step or out of phase. It's like some weird assembly dyslexia that I've, yeah, I've, I've had my whole life. Yeah. Well, uh, I will introduce today's episode. Um, I interviewed uh, this gentleman uh, by the name of Jason Gotts. And uh, yeah, so uh, Jason Jason is an author and a podcaster and uh, an educator. And I uh, started listening to his uh, podcast, Think Again, back in 2017. And anyways, I, yeah, just, uh, I just I really wanted to have him on the program and 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 chat with him. So I I, I hope everyone enjoys this one. But um, but yeah, um, he, he had his own sort of interview podcast, uh, uh, you know, starting in 2015, and then uh, in 2020 uh, that ended, and he started another podcast called Clever Creature. He would pick a sh- he would pick a word from a word generator. And then he would like write a song around that word and he would nice. write a short story around that word. And 
then he would interview somebody and he would even incorporate the word into the interview. Um, wow. And then he, yeah. And then he would like finish it off with like a guided meditation. So (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a really cool format. So I, so yeah, I listened to his first interview podcast and then the second one called clever creature. And then he wrote a memoir uh, called humanity is trying. And that sort of tied everything together for me, you know, kind of introduced me to him and his family and, and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it was great that he agreed to come on the show and, yeah, and, uh, he sounds super cool. I love the name clever creature. Yeah. 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 If you get a chance, look that one up on the streaming services. It's, uh, a really, the the short stories are really unique too. like, um, I don't know, hard, hard to describe, like he goes in all kinds of different directions with them. So I'm all in, I'm all in. Cool, man. Well, uh, Man, t- can you talk about like how weird it is to reach out to someone from the blue? Like what, what, what's your experience with that, man? Do you, cause you're quite good at it. You, a lot of people respond to you. Um, how, how does that feel doing that? Yeah. Uh, I think it's just like, I think it's easy when I'm really interested in somebody. Like I think that helps, uh, a lot. And I just sort of go with my curiosity. Like, I don't know when something's really coming from a genuine place, it's easy to reach out to somebody. Um, nice. you know, I, I try not to like overdo it with the flattery or anything like that. <laughs> I try to remain cool about it, but like, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is fairly easy when you're deeply interested in somebody's work. It's just like, cool. you know, I've been listening to your stuff or reading your stuff and I love to talk. And I mean, generally speaking, the person's, um, you know, pretty, uh, happy about that. So they, so they respond, but like, I get it when people don't respond. Um, not everybody wants to be on a podcast and I completely understand that, but, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I get it. Yeah. No, that's how we met, man. You wrote me a letter and, uh, here we are. Yeah. Later. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think there's something cool with that. Like I'm still surprised at the amount of people that say yes. Like it's still pretty cool. Um, I mean, it still kind of surprises me every time when somebody writes back and says, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you. And then, uh, and then the pressure's really on after that. You know, <laughs> and, and then you have to start preparing for it. So, well, I, I can just say from, uh, personal experience, having been the recipient of one of your letters, you do a good job of like, um, reflecting back whatever the person's trying to put out, you know, like that you've seen it with a, a different, pair of eyes you know that like you got it you saw it and you saw some kind of value in that and uh yeah i like the idea that you lead with curiosity i'm not doing so hot with these letters man i, I send them out and i've got um zero like no one it's except for once one the one letter i wrote to someone uh was help helped launch my first podcast <laughs> and uh since then it's been all zeros man nobody's responded so well, I've got uh, plenty of those too. I mean, I got plenty of yeah. no responses to, believe me. I just, maybe it's just the quantity that I send out that gets me a few, a few responses. But, um, but yeah, even Jason said it he, in the interview with him. He said, like, uh, you know, he said he just really appreciates, uh, personal interaction with people that consume his work. He's like, it really means something when I can talk to somebody that's, um, consumed it or whatever. So, yeah. 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 That's sweet, man. That's sweet. I can't wait to hear it, man. Sounds like an interesting guy. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to say too, is that I didn't, um, I didn't go into great detail, even in the introduction to the podcast about the book. Like I was pretty vague about the details about the book. Cause I, you know, I, I want listeners to like go out and buy it or yeah. whatever, get it from the library. So, um, you know, like some of the things that we're discussing, maybe the listeners aren't going to have the full context for, sure. but I, but I hope that like they can still glean something from it. Like I say, I, I just didn't want to like give major spoilers, but, um, but yeah. Um, cool. I'm, I'm the, the less you say, the more interested I'm in. <laughs> I am. <laughs> exactly. All right. Right on. Well, enjoy the show and, uh, we will catch you next time around. All right. See you later. I want to tell the truth for once as if it's even possible Without all of the filigree and Cordobin geometry About how there was never a container that could fit All the love and all the emptiness I tried to stuff inside of it How angry and how disappointed every effort made me Every promising new prototype and radical discovery Every reinvention, every glimmer of redemption That got shut up in a notebook too embarrassing to mention I think maybe I'm ready Yeah, I think maybe it's time To open up that box of old spiral notebooks I used to know a girl or so my memory is telling me Whose mind was like the laughing play of light upon the pebbles And whose darkness too was luminous with blood and smoke and wine And that when she left I may have left a piece of me behind I think I might be ready Yeah, I guess it must be time To open up that old box of spiral notebooks Well, I don't believe in closure and I don't suppose it's healing I am standing on a precipice or underneath a ceiling And I'm not trying to hurt you, but I think you must admit That the blood comes out regardless of the type of tourniquet And my sister, she was honest, but she couldn't make it work She was swimming in the quicksand, she was drowning just in sight of land And I reached out my hand, and it was strong, but it was slippery Like words after I write them down like love when it's a memory I think I may be ready Yeah, I guess it might be time To open up that old box of spiral notebooks Alrighty, so I'm here with uh, writer, um, podcaster, songwriter, and educator Jason Gotts uh, Jason has produced two critically acclaimed podcasts, uh, Think Again, uh, a Big Think podcast, as well as Clever Creature. He has also written uh, a memoir entitled Humanity is Trying, and he teaches podcasting to writers at Columbia University's Graduate School of the Arts. Uh, Jason grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, but he and his family now make their home in the New York metro area. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, Jason. And I hope I got those facts somewhat correct. Yeah, all of that was perfect. Thanks, thanks, Glenn. So glad to be here with you. Yeah, man. Uh, of course. Um, 
So just to provide a little bit of context, um, I, I'm a courier uh, driver for a living. So I listen to a lot of um, podcasts on the road and, um, you know, I try to educate myself while I'm going through the somewhat monotonous process of, uh, you know, picking up and dropping off. So um, I first came across your podcast, uh, I think again, probably in like 2017. And I immediately uh, was drawn in. Uh, you had some, you know, terrific guests um, just for the li- listeners. You know, you had people on like Salman Rushdie and um, uh, Neil Gaiman and Sharon Salzberg. Um, and I thought you really steered the conversations in a really, in a really great way. And, and so I listened to that show for, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, existence. And then it ended in 2020 and you developed, uh, another podcast called Clever Creature. And again, I, I, I really enjoyed that show. Um, I, I thought the format for that show was particularly, uh, unique and, and great. Um, and, and again, just for the listeners, um, Jason would take a word every episode and write a song, write a short story and, and interview a guest and would incorporate that word into the interview as well. Um, and then finish the show off with a guided meditation, which I always found pretty helpful. <laughs> and, uh, so, so that was a really unique format and I really, I really love that show. And then finally you wrote a, a book, uh, a memoir, humanity is trying. And that kind of tied everything together for me. I, I got to know who you and your family were and, it was just a, um, I just finished it again for the second time. And, um, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of great lessons in that, in that book. Um, a lot of wisdom. It's funny. It's sad. It's kind of, it's a lot of stuff. And, um, um, I don't want to go bullet by bullet, uh, with that book, um, with this, cause I want people to, you know, go out and order it or buy it at their bookstore, or go to the library. But I do want to at least let listeners know that it's a memoir and it kind of, focuses on your relationship with your late sister mary and your late um best friend john um and kind of you know uh also you know details other aspects of jason's life um what i do want to do in this conversation is just kind of talk about some of the themes that exist in all of your work your book your podcasting your writing interviews that i've heard you do so um so yeah um Great. I guess the first thing that I wanted to sort of bring up was uh, this concept that you talk about in your book. Uh, I believe it. you had a teacher named Lewis. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah, Lu- Louis. Um, Louis. Louis, mm-hmm. sorry. Louis, yeah. Louis Sheeter was his name. And he, he was my teacher at NYU at the classical studio where we did Shakespearean acting and analyzed Shakespeare. And he passed away a few years ago and he was one of the best teachers I ever had. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, you know, you, you, you talked about him directing a midsummer's night, uh, a midsummer night's dream, uh, that you acted in and, and, um, but you said that he gave you one piece of advice that I really, that was kind of, it was a bit of a light bulb moment in the book for me. And, um, you know, it was this concept around like showing up and, um, you know, I've, I'm 41 years old now and it, it, I feel like I've just started to understand the value of what that means. Um, I've, I've ran away from a few things in life and, and I just wanted to know if you could just talk about, um, that advice that Louis gave you and, and just sort of how, 
how you've um, understood that advice or how you've incorporated that advice through your life? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. And <clears throat> I mean, I, I should preface it by saying that um, I'm my kind of critical thinking apparatus in my brain is is almost too uh, highly keyed up for its own good. So I'm 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 very judgmental of uh, or I have tended to be in my life very kind of knee jerk judgmental of like um, aphorisms and easy advice and, you know, like um simple sounding phrases about how to live your life. And on the surface of it, you know, saying to someone, just show up, this sounds like something you might see on Instagram and it may or may not make any impact, but somehow, you know, the, the way that he said this to us, um, you know, it was one morning in, in a class, uh, you know, this was my college, my undergrad, um, I think my senior year, and um and and what he was saying was basically that you know the most important thing or i yeah i mean essentially this is what he said the most important thing in life is is to show up no matter what you're feeling no matter you know how you're you're thinking about the thing what you're nervous about it you think you don't deserve to be there the things that you have committed to for some reason or decided are useful for you or something that you want to be, want to have in your life. And I think this extends to relationships. This extends to everything. It's like, you know, I've decided to learn guitar or I've decided to read this book or I've just, whatever it might be, right? I've decided that it would be useful for me to move in this direction professionally or, you know, I care about this person and I'm going to, you know, live with them at least for as long as, you know, we can make that work kind of thing. You know, the, you show up in the sense that, um, you know, uh, both physically, like you show up to class every day, even if you feel sick or tired or hungover or whatever it might be. Um, you show up, you know, cognitively, emotionally, you're, you're re- you, 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 you come to that relationship or that situation ready to give yourself to it, ready to face it directly. Um, there's a million ways, I think, in which we all run away from things, you yeah. know, but both like, you know, it can be something as overt as, you know, quitting a job and or or leaving school or dropping a class or whatever. Um, but it can also be, you know, there are ways in which we kind of tunnel inside ourselves. And I just think it's a useful uh, thing to remember to to kind of remind yourself to 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 be present, to pay attention to when it is that that you're doing that. And I'm not saying that you like never have to say goodbye to something. I mean, some, there are times in our lives when it's time to move on. Um, absolutely. But, you know, I think the advice is that when you do that, when it's time to do that, you're doing that with your eyes open. You're, you're doing that on your own terms. You know, that's a decision you've made. That's not something that you've just allowed to happen to you passively. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Thanks for that. Yeah. And and I think even in the book, you said, you know, it's deceptively simple advice. But, you know, again, it's one of the more difficult things to do, I think, like, um, you know, again, as as even with something like 
this show that I do or, you know, think again that you did, you know, like I know you mentioned in one chapter that, you know, there were there were times where there was some insecurity. You were talking to some pretty um, some big personalities and there were, you know, maybe the, some self-doubt started to creep in. But, you know, every time you show up, you know, you you grow a little bit more and and, and uh, you're not going to feel like crap if you if you bail on something that really means something to you, you know. That's right. I mean, I even, even toward the end, like, you know, think again ran from 2015 to 2020. Even in the last, like, year of that show, there would be times when, for whatever reason, and I think this is like, I think this is true of all of us. I mean, I don't know if, you know, maybe, maybe people like Conan O'Brien or, 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 you know, uh, it, it, reach a certain level of professionalism where there's nothing like what I'm about to express. But in these conversations with these people, I tried to be, you know, intellectually open. I tried to be present with them as a person and not kind of give the old razzle dazzle and just kind of power through. And so there were moments, there were days when my brain just didn't quite start up. Sorry. No worries. I, my, I'm home recording and, and I have a dog who periodically barks, but not, not, not often. Um, no problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, and there were days when my brain would just kind of like not be working right on me, you know, and like, you know, a, a conversation I had with um, Gary Steingart, for example, who's a writer that I absolutely love and was so looking forward to that interview. There were moments in that taping where I was just like, um, uh, could, just give me a second. Uh, I'm going to remember what it was I was going to say. You know, I mean, and I, this is like 160 shows in. And and there were plenty of times in the very beginning when I'd have those kinds of experiences and think to myself, like, man, you shouldn't you really shouldn't be doing this, you know, but there was enough of a commitment in my in my heart and my mind, you know, um, enough uh, of a core of self-belief. And then that kind of, you know, uh, value of of showing up where I was like just keep keep going and and overall it did get significantly better I I did get good at it and I did learn to speak to people in a way that I I don't think I ever could before I mean even this conversation with you is much easier for me than it would have been before I started that show yeah yeah I relate to that pretty deeply um and you know I think I also loved what you said about like bringing openness and and humility to a conversation and even that like self-doubt in a way is a form of egoism. And, um, I, uh, again, uh, I think we all do, but I, I, I struggle with self-doubt or have in the past big time. And, and yeah, I mean, you got to remember that, like, you know, stop thinking about yourself so much. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think like to clarify, like I, or, or at least I don't know, to reflect on that, I think it's, it's perfectly okay to feel self-doubt. And I think like if I learned, you know, I did spend a lot of time with Buddhism. I'm currently not reading a ton of Buddhism, but I spent a number of years reading and listening to and thinking about Buddhist ideas. And one of the things, you know, core things that I learned from it is sort of not to judge one's own thoughts and feelings. Like you feel what you feel, you think what you think. If you are beset by set self-doubt, okay right um but then but then recognize that that's what what is happening and don't allow that to cripple you like stay there anyway again you know 
show show up with with whatever you've whatever you've got. Um, and in the end, I think what what often happens is that the focus, you know, shifts shifts quickly. The other person says something marvelous that makes you laugh, or, or you know, you find something inside yourself that you didn't expect um, by just kind of like letting the thing be there and then letting it go. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I did, uh, want to, uh, talk a little bit about Buddhism too. Um, a lot of the other themes that run through your work, um, or have in the past, at least like, um, you know, embracing uncertainty, um, you know, um, not being, you know, not resisting difficult conversations, difficult situations, sort of welcoming life, um, enjoying your problems, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. All of these things are like kind of rooted in, or not, maybe not rooted, but they at least come up in Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist thinking. And, and, um, um, so I was just wondering, like, I, I came from a similar, like you mentioned in your book that, you know, um, um, I don't know, you came from a family of, you know, explainers and analyzers and, and um there was some anxiety within your family structure and and I come from a similar place where you know we tried to think our way out of everything and there we thought we maybe there was an answer to everything and we you know difficult conversations weren't had that often um and I I think that's why I appreciate your work so much because I really those ideas attract me you know like that that you know really trying to have those hard conversations. Um, but so, so those themes run, uh, you know, in your, in your work for sure. I, I was just wondering, like, if you could just talk a little bit about, like, you said you aren't reading much about Buddhism these days. Do you still have a meditation practice? Like, do, do you still dip your toe in once in a while? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wish I could say that the meditation practice had 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 stayed with me honestly, but I think in in I think honesty is more important um than consistency in some ways. Um the 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 because it may because it will enable me to like come back to it uh, later down the road. I, I, I think that the pandemic was disastrous uh, in some ways for my meditation practice. I, before it started, I mean, I don't want to blame everything on the pandemic, but let me, I think this is my best understanding of it. Right. When, when the pandemic started, um, like the, the sort of meta anxieties of that and a lot of the other things, there were other pressures that, 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 that time brought both generally and in, in my life, my family life that made it such that I like meditation, which is, should be useful, should be an anchor in, in such difficult times. Yeah. I, it, it was just something that I, uh, I found that I was not really like, I, I, I couldn't sit still, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, no, I, so, I you know, amazingly other practices came in like around that time or during that period, I, uh, stopped drinking entirely, which, um, in classical Buddhism should be drinking should be incompatible with 
meditation, actually. It's right. funny that like during the periods when I was meditating, I was often also, you know, alcohol was a part of my life. Um, not like I, 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 it's very hard to, to say sort of like where you are on the spectrum of drinkers uh, in our culture in American yeah. culture, like everybody drinks pretty much. Yeah. And um, I was not somebody who was drinking to the point of, you know, blacking out or falling down or anything to that effect. But, but, you know, I was like, I'm one of those people where when I drink, uh, I don't want to stop. Like I, I'm sort of like just enjoying it. And I, I, I so drink follows drink. And then it becomes a presence in my life, a sort of dependency that I don't, that, that I find kind of takes away energy and um, interferes in ways that I, I'm not happy about. And, uh, but anyway, so like during the pandemic, like those, that practice, the like letting go of, 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 of drinking um, and also physical exercise, which I've made a like daily thing, which it, had been off and on before, but like it's consistently for the past two years, you know, maybe occasionally one day off I'm exercising. So there were practices and anchors that, you know, you can look at as meditative in a way that is to say, when you are not drinking, you are more mindful of what you are doing. Right. When you are exercising, you are out of your head and anchored in your body in in a way that that is a form of of mindfulness practice. Sure, um, absolutely. And I don't think there's a single kind of um, practicing Buddhist who would disagree with that. Um, but I do miss the meditation practice, and I, I'm not sure quite what happened there. And I would like to get back to it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did did you uh, when you were meditating? Like, did you uh, did you generally do guided meditations or did you just do like complete silence on your own or? So, so a little of both and it kind of depended on the period that I was in. Um, I found guided meditations more helpful in periods when, when my mind was more distracted and bouncing all over the place, it was kind of helpful to have someone anchoring you with their voice. The human right. voice is, I mean, this is one reason why podcasts are so popular. The human voice um, has an enormously rich spectrum of sound in it. And when it hits our ears, it has an immediate kind of like physically grounding effect. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, yeah, there's like much more tone. I mean, that's why those microphones that people sing into, as you may know, are, and the like one you're using, for example, are so have such large diaphragms because... Um, a smaller mic won't won't really get all the bass tones and the top tones and the full spectrum of the human voice. But um, sorry, <clears throat> but um, but so so I have found uh, guided meditations really grounding in in at times uh, when my brain is bouncing all over the place. Um, but what's what's often happened is that once I've established a practice with guided meditations, and usually that'll be like in a certain area of Buddhist practice. So it could be um, breath meditation or it could be uh, metta, like which is sort of goodwill meditation. Yeah. Um, uh, once that's, once I've established that over weeks or months with listening to guided meditations, then I'll take the guidance away 
and and try to do it on my own. And sometimes that necessitates going like taking the time down a little bit. So if I was doing 45 minute guided meditations and then I drop it out, I might have to go to like a 10 to 15 minute silent meditation first and then build up to longer time periods. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of curious about that because I mostly, I guess I, I yeah, I, I, I'm not unlike you where I kind of fall out of it and go back into it. Um, Recently, I've, you know, been pretty consistent with it. But yeah, I, I um, uh, do you know Tara Brock? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. She's from your, I think, like the DC area, I believe. Um, w- w- which is close to where you were, uh, were from there. Um, yep. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, she, she has a great sort of podcast and, and guided meditation, uh, audio thing that she does weekly. And, and I get a lot of, uh, use out of that. And, um, yeah, there, there's all kinds of resources online, but I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, anyways, yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been, yeah, I, she, yeah go ahead. Tara's great. Um, and, and she's, she's sort of within the, um, like the American insight meditation tradition that, um, the people that I have also learned a lot from are mostly within, which is a branch of, you know, Theravada Buddhism, which is the earliest form of, of, uh, of Buddhism. And that started in India and Burma. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, up in Massachusetts, there's insight meditation society and, uh, the folks from there, Jack Kornfeld and, and Joseph Goldstein and, Sharon Salzberg and Tara works with them a lot as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah, I find those people, I find that they're like the message, you know, the, sorry, the ideas and the forms of meditation, which are an adaptation They're They were brought to America in the seventies to kind of make those traditions relevant to an American audience. Um, I find that they speak very clearly in a way to the like, anxieties and the uh, struggles of American culture and, and probably also Canadian, let's say Western capitalist culture. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, no, I've learned a lot from those people. And I wanted, I wanted to say that, you know, about this issue of like starting and stopping, like when I interviewed Sharon Salzberg, I asked her, how often are you meditating? And she told me that like she and Joseph Goldstein, who have been kind of leaders in this space for definite leaders in this space for, you know, since the 1970s, both agreed together that like, if you can do two minutes in a day, like at the end of the day, yeah, like that's, that's an okay aspiration. Like if your life is going you know, crazy or whatever, like, yeah. you know, like just trying to even check in for a moment with yourself. They, she said that it, 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 it varies greatly, you know, for her. And I know there are times when like Joseph Goldstein will go on a, you know, two month solo retreat and be meditating most of the day every day. But then I think there are other periods where they're traveling around and life is disruptive. And, you know, I think the idea is to, is just to check in with yourself and try to like remain in alignment with yourself and 
to try to keep those practices in your life to the extent that they are helpful to you um, and not to beat yourself up too much, you know, wherever you are on that, you know, fluctuating. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Um, have you ever done a retreat yourself? Like a, I have really, really, really wanted to, and I was scheduled to go on my first ever uh, silent meditation. Well, I don't know if it would have been silent the whole time, but I think I would have been mostly silent, except for the teachers would be speaking um, at the Insight Meditation Society in uh, Massachusetts. It was going to be a meta uh, loving kindness meditation retreat with Sharon Salzberg and uh, Anushka. I forget her last name, but I love her too. Um, and uh, I was so excited for it. And it was um, May of 2020. So oh. uh, you can figure out what happened with that. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it turned into an online retreat and that, that just was not going to work in the context of my life. I have a dog, I have a child, I have things moving in and out of my house and, yeah. Like there aren't multiple hours in a day where I can just sit in a room. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go back for a minute. You, you were talking about, uh, 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 drinking and, um, I listened to you on the, uh, I think it was called like the sober curious podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you said something that like really resonated with me. Um, it, it, it was, I thought it was like an incredibly self-aware thing to say, but you said like, you know, you weren't the type of drinker to, you know, get into a car, you know, obliterated or anything, you know, you, you, you weren't emotionally or physically you know, abusive or anything. Um, but yeah, you were the type of person that, you know, you had a drink or two and, and you, you know, found it difficult to stop. Um, but you said like that you tried different things, like I'm going to limit, limit myself to three drinks or I'm going to like drink on Saturdays only or something. But that still didn't really work for you. And you said like you found like even one day of drinking per week or something like that could, would be enough to like derail creative momentum for like weeks at a time. And, and I'd never heard that put that way before. And I, I just, it, I related to it so much because, you know, I've, I've, you know, uh, spent a lot of my twenties drinking way more than I should. And, um, I've struggled with it too. And, um, but like, I feel the exact same way. Like, and, and I'm not, you know, bad mouthing smoking weed or drinking. That's, you know, it teach their own. And, and I, and if it works for you, God bless you. But, um, but for me, like I found the exact same thing as you, like mm. it, it would like derail progress I was making. Like and I felt like, and I felt like almost like I, I feel, I consider myself a relatively creative person and like drinking or smoking weed and stuff like that. It, it seemed to like, fill that bucket that creativity would normally fill, you know? And so like when I was drinking or smoking pot or something, I wouldn't have that urge to create anything um, because like that was doing the job and I wasn't gaining any, like I, I, I wasn't um, enriching my life at all. Like, because, you know, drinking or whatever was doing that for me and I wasn't creating anything. And, I would just, you know, for, yeah, for three hours a day when I was drunk or stoned, great. Um, but I would wake up feeling more miserable than ever the next day and wouldn't feel like creating anything, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know where I'm getting at. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And do you relate to that at all? Like kind of, I, a, I, of, I, I, yeah. 
No, sorry, please finish. No, 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 go ahead. No, I, I deeply, I deeply relate to exactly the way you said that, that it, that it seems to fill, fill in like, so I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make creative people sound like some, some like other species. And I absolutely don't want to make creative people sound like some kind of um, better, you know, species than other people. But I, but I do think that there, that, that people who, who to tend to have a creative drive, um, a strong creative drive, uh, often also have a lot of anxiety often often have a lot of like um you know struggle with a lot of tension and uncertainty and anxiety and and i think that um uh creativity is this absolutely beautiful way that we can that you know work that we can do to kind of organize those parts of ourselves and and kind of find a way through and discover a, a, a way through. Um, and I, and, and that requires in order to like, in order to get there, that requires sitting with, uh, at least in my case, sitting with or living with a certain amount of that anxiety and that uncertainty. Um, George Saunders, the, the, the short story writer, yeah. uh, who I absolutely love and adore both as a writer and as a human being. Um, he, he talks about filling the well. He says that, you know, we kind of like, this is in response to like when people ask him, how often should I write or, you know, cause there's, there's all these people out there advising you to write every day and whatever. And he says, you know, look, the well, there's this well and like it, sometimes it is dry and then like it, and it fills in a mysterious way. And we don't always understand exactly how and when and why. Um, but for me, these are these cycles and in the, like in the fallow periods or the stuck periods or the periods when like, you know, um, the story isn't going where you want it to go or the song, you don't know quite what the next chord is or the next verse. Uh, or yeah, you just haven't written anything for a while. Like there can be a tremendous amount of anxiety there, which I think is like endemic to the, to the kind of people that, that, that like to make things. Um, and I think, I think that that is part of that process. That is part of that process that, uh, that, if you allow it to inevitably uh, and there's a certain amount of like effort on your part, like you do have to like try to, to write, <laughs> you know, you do yeah. have to, you, you know, you can't just sit there and sort of wait for the inspiration to happen. Like you could be sitting down every day and writing, but it's just not going anywhere or you're not sure where to go next. Um, and then one day, uh, there's there's a breakthrough and i think i think the struggle is part of that that process but but um but the point is that that break those breakthroughs when they come and and also the kind of like guiding framework of the the work itself the be it the book that you're working on or the song or whatever it is you do yeah. um i i think i think that gives that gives a powerful and a meaningful structure and, and, and purpose to a life. And when you, and for me anyway, um, yeah, drinking tends to kind of like 
it's a bit of a lie that tends to kind of extinguish in me or, or damp down the need or the importance uh, of that, of that, of that work. Um, and, uh, you know, and keep me at kind of like, yeah, comfortably numb, I suppose, even, even when it's, when I've relegated it to only the weekends, um, or, you know, yeah, yeah, not every day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, that's well said. And I, I think like, as you move forward without drink or without a crutch too, it, you know, it, it very gradually increases your, um, you know, level of confidence and sort of, um, you know, if you're, if you're, it tends to, amp, you know, it tends to amplify your worst qualities sometimes, I think too, like your self-doubt or your insecurities or something. And, and, um, you know, and, and, and again, it's, it's almost like sh- going back to the showing up advice. Like, you know, if you show up every day and, and kind of, um, conquer that, you know, I, 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 I'm not trying to sound like a, an AA counselor <laughs> or something, but like, but if you show up every day, you know, and, 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 and conquer that one day or whatever, then, you know, you, you'll have a little bit more confidence in your ability and, and a little bit more confidence in, in yourself, you know, I guess. Yeah. And I want to yeah. say, I want to say to your, I know we have only two minutes and then we're going to come back. Um, yeah. Cause we're, yeah. But I want to say to your AA counselor point that one of my favorite books in the world is David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, where he fictionally recounts his own experiences as an alcoholic in, in, or, uh, alcoholic and i believe he was also also had drug addiction problems in if i'm wrong about that someone should correct me um in alcoholics anonymous uh and and his own uh reject like knee jerk rejection at first of the program um as a result of being a super snarky literary smart minded <laughs> dude, you know, that doesn't want to hear one day at a time and whatever, but like ultimately someone, uh, sort of less literary and wiser than him who's been there longer sets him straight that like actually part of what's holding him back is that snarkiness and that critical mind that's not willing to sort of see the wisdom in things that don't sound, you know, snappy and smart that's a a, yeah that's a great point for sure um yeah i wanted to pick up on uh infinite jest for a second because that book has been staring me down at my library and in various bookstores for a long time there's some fun fun canadian themes in there for you uh quebecois separatists and so on right yeah um now did you get through that on the first try um, yeah, I did. Uh, uh, I was probably 35 or so at the time. And I had decided that like, I was, so I think from like 20 to 35, I had, I was like forcing myself or, I don't know, religiously committed as it were to only reading books, classical books by dead authors, um, just to kind of like catch up on a lot of things I had missed. Like I hadn't really read the Russians and, you know, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, whatever. Um, and this was the first modern author that I had read probably in, you know, 15 years. I read mostly fiction at this point, not so much, but back then. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and yeah, I, 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 
I did read it on the first try, but I, for what it's worth, I'll t- I mean, it's not like I, I'm not, I don't have a superpower. I mean, I, I tried to read um, Ulysses like three times before I managed to get through it. And then I only got through it with the help of a professor. Right. Um, uh, so some books, you know, are a giant wall that that's hard to climb. Um, Infinite Jest, for whatever reason, like, you know, sometimes a book hits you at the right time in your life. Um, and then also there's like a synergy between your brain and the author's brain and, and something about his mind and the structure of his sentences really just like tickled all the neurons in my brain to the point where I couldn't stop reading. And I even like, you know, half, half of that book is foot and notes right. and you have to kind of like flip back and forth and um and the end notes are stories unto themselves um and i i i would go there and i would come back and it was just but it was just like fun you know yeah yeah. i I think i remember you saying that about um uh what's that book called a brother's karamazov Mm. you said you had to keep flipping back to the family tree at the beginning of the book or something to yeah i think that that, yeah that's that's sorry that's yeah i think that's true with russian novels in general there's just too many names and all the names have multiple forms yeah another complete blind spot for me i'm like (laughs) i'm fascinated by all of these authors and 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 whatnot but like um i've just never taken the time have you read saunders book on the russians um i i i have uh, that is a blind spot for me i know about it and i have not and i want i would love to at some point yeah he wrote is he mainly is he writing about all like um, all the major russian literary figures is it just chekhov is it i forget um yeah i i haven't uh gogol is uh 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 and and I, i haven't read it in its entirety either but like i I just knew that you know you mentioned being a fan of saunders and then and i knew from your memoir that you read all these russian novelists so i thought it would be like a a match made in heaven there for you yeah i should i should say i i should say like i i mean i think this is an interesting uh topic so like steer me back if there's other things you'd rather talk about but i i i i think that like I am competitive with myself about reading. Like that is um, the way that some people want to try to run a marathon, which I have absolutely no desire to do. I had um, from my twenties on, there's a certain joy that I take in the challenge of reading something that feels a bit like a challenge Um and, 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 you know, I, I don't know, there's something I find really anxious, anchoring, um, even, you know, in life's while in the midst of life's up and ups and downs to know that I have like, like a, a sturdy book that I'm working through and not just because it's difficult, of course, like if, if the book is simply difficult, I, I would probably not get through it. Like there has to be some sense that I feel like I'm learning something and then there has to be some sense of delight in it as well. Like I've had zero success, for example, in the big thick books of Western philosophy. Um, I've read a lot of Plato, but, but he's just, that's like conversations, you know, funny conversations. Um, but, uh, you know, Socrates running around ancient Greece, uh, annoying people, but, um, 
but you know, Kant or something like that, I have had, I've had no, no, no luck with. So it's not, you know, I don't think I'm the greatest reader in the world, but there is something like this kind of, yeah, like, like joyful challenge in, yeah. in, in yeah. reading for me. Yeah, I get that. Like, I, I feel the same way, like something that's maybe just a little bit above your comprehension that's kind of pulling you along and you're kind of, um, I felt that way with, I haven't read all of Saunders, but I did read uh, Lincoln in, ah. the Bar- in the Bardo and like, I didn't know what was going on for the first uh, number of pages. And, but there was some, <laughs> but, but there was something that kept me at it. You know what I mean? And then like, and then suddenly it clicks and um, you're like, Oh, okay, this is what's going on. But like, it's almost like, um, yeah, you're on a, you're on a, a mushroom trip or something. And, and then like, finally it clicks into place, you know, that's exactly right. And I, I think that's like a very kind of creative mind space to be in that like sort of edge of what you understand. Um, you know, when I was uh, in my early in my professional life, I was teaching middle school for three years, um, which had its moments. Uh, but one of the things I really remember from that was this idea from this Russian education theorist, Vygotsky, which I probably mentioned in the book because I can never stop talking about that or thinking about that idea of the zone of proximal development, which is that like, he believes that, sorry, (coughs) he says that there is this zone of proximal development, which is sort of that, that edge of your comfort zone. Um, If you push the kid too far outside of that, you will demotivate them. It's sort of like, you know, I always think that those people who throw kids into a swimming pool to teach them to swim are idiots because the kid might learn to swim, but it's a trauma of, uh, uh, without a doubt, that's a trauma. And yeah. the way that they will learn to swim will certainly not have the the power or the grace or, or the sense of belonging to them. I think that it would, if like you actually taught them to swim, but um but you know that being just beyond your comfort zone um i think i think can be a really uh you know really powerful creative space and so yeah like link lincoln and the bardo um yeah I, I i i can understand why you felt that way it's such a um a dizzying and disorienting experience in some ways but but then like when you find your feet within it, it's such a satisfying. It, it feels so good. Feel. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. kind of like the way an album is too, in a lot of ways, like, you know, um, like some challenging music or something, you know, where you listen to an album two or three times and you're like, ah, I don't know about this. And then, you know, it'll click into place the fourth or fifth time around. And you're like, man, and then you'll listen to it for like a month or whatever. Give me, give me an example of an album that was like that for you. Oh gosh. Uh, let me see here. Um, I'm thinking like maybe a band like, like a band like Animal Collective or something okay. like that. Okay. Like, yeah. y- you know, like it, where you listen to it at first and you're like, what is this stuff? And then, um, but then it, it but then it, it, you know, because it's so tempting to just listen to like, for example, like, you know, like music biographies are like candy to me. I could just read music biographies the rest of my life and I would be satisfied. But like, and singer songwriters are like candy to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could just listen to singer songwriters forever because I just love, you know, that genre. 
but like i also know that i've got to get outside of that comfort zone at times and listen to like you know um noise bands and and also read you know abstract fiction and because yeah like it's yeah there's another element of satisfaction there that you don't get from you know the the stuff that you just love you know yeah 100 and i mean you know there's nothing wrong with 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 candy and kind of going back to the stuff that you love of course i mean i i will as you know from uh reading my book twice like i i there's not a day of i think of my life you know probably until the day i die that i won't be happy to hear a song by paul simon yeah but but yeah, absolutely. Like kind of like stretching those tendrils out in new directions. I mean, I'd say King Crimson is at that liminal edge for me. Um, yeah. A lot of classical music is there for me. And that's just because I wasn't like educated in that tradition. And so like I love Bach, but even with Bach, I can't, I, I, I am deeply ignorant. Like I can listen a hundred times to the Brandenburg concertos. And if you played it for me, I wouldn't necessarily recognize, I'd recognize that it was Bach, but I wouldn't necessarily recognize that it's the Brandenburg concertos, but, but, you know, going there is, yeah, I think, I think it's, it, it, it stretches you in good, in good ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost like going back to our conversation about drinking. I mean, you know, that that's a, its own type of, candy and yeah i mean it's beautiful out right now it's sunny and it's 75 and you know um a glass of rye with some ice cubes would be wonderful right now um but uh but it, and that tempts me every single day but at the same time um i also know that if you uh you know uh deprive yourself and i don't even look at it as deprivation but if you if you you know um, if you kind of stretch those ideas out and, 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 and kind of resist, um, there's a lot more satisfaction that can, that can come from, from, from that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky for me. Um, always like I, I feel like I'm always kind of looking for the balance between, uh, um, you know, and I, I'm sure I talked about this in the book as well. I'm always looking for the balance between, uh, a kind of discipline and also, you know, just being human, you know, like we are not, we are not perfect and we are not made to be, um, uh, like invariable. We're not supposed to like always be adhering rigidly to the same things all the time. And like, I, I, you know, with alcohol, that, that, that is the one space I would say in which I, I, you know, literally the one space in my life where I don't think there's a kind of easy middle ground for me. I mean, you know, when it comes to eating, for example, yeah, you know, I like a, I like a, you know, outrageous dessert now and again, or a giant hamburger or whatever. Um, And I'll allow myself that because, you know, I just feel like it's, yeah, it's part and parcel of not, not becoming someone that is like, um, frozen into your way your your ways so much that you're kind of like resisting life itself right um and i struggle with that with alcohol because you know alcohol at times in my life has felt like a mechanism for connecting with other people it you know it serves a lot of purposes and it's very insidious and sort of the way that 
the, you know, like sometimes it can be just like a casual friend. And I think there are plenty of people in the world for whom, and plenty of times in my own life where it has facilitated a conversation that I might not have had otherwise, you know, like in a, in a, in a gathering with, with strangers, like, especially when I was so young and so anxious that, that, that I, I didn't know how to meet people at all. Um, and at the same time, um, it, uh, you know, and I think there are people, sorry, in whose lives it serves that function, like just having a nice glass of wine with someone kind of does relax them, warms things up. I mean, that's the idea. That's like what it's supposed yeah, to yeah. be. It's just in my life, it segues so easily into um, a thing to which, uh, to which I am responsible rather than some like thing I am serving in a way rather than something that's, that's serving me. So, you know, with that one chemical, just the way that I'm wired for whatever reason, like, like I, I'm not able to find that easy, humane balance. I think. Yeah, I'm with you completely. Yeah, and and right. um, th- there was one line in your book that I found quite moving. Like, you know, you kind of said like, with your uh, sister Mary, um, you were having convers, you had conversations with her around drinking at times, and um, there was one moment where you said, you know, well, I'm I'm not her counselor. I'm her brother. And, um, you know, I just, I, that line struck me, uh, struck a note for me and, you know, cause, cause fa- conversations within families about drinking are really difficult, you know? I, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. I mean that, you know, not, that is, that is the hardest thing I think in, in relationship, you know, in any relationship that, that, that lasts for any length of time is the way that the um the way that the like dynamics fluctuate and like one you know the, the one person the way that i don't know strength versus need um and if people in you know in your life uh or if you you know get into a place of 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 extreme difficulty and extreme need those relationships shift and it's very easy, you know, when you're, when you're in the position of a uh, caretaker, I mean, my grandmother, Selma, her husband, uh, my grandpa, Joe, he, he had a stroke maybe 11 years before he died. And for those last 11 years, he could barely talk. He could, you know, he could get around with some help, but like he was completely dependent on her. And I watched, you know, what their relationship became. And like, she, you know, it's, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it was, I mean, she loved him fully with her heart, but it was, it's no exaggeration to say that it was like, if you had a particularly challenging dog, that you had to take care of all the time, you know, like, and what that would do to you in terms of stress and what, you know, like you are in um, a kind of survival mode at that point. Um, And, and so, yeah, it's very, I think it's very tricky in, in in relationships where people go through difficult things to, um, to kind of keep reminding yourself of like, who they are, who you are, you know, and not end up 
as in some like stuck in some role um, yeah. caretaker caretaker coach whatever yeah 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 um yeah it's just it's tricky subject matter like it, you know it goes back to like you know the, one of the themes in your book was you know just having you know yeah like not knowing how or when necessarily to broach difficult topics and um you know at one point you said like uh we were trying to help mary with her resume but you know she needed help in other ways and um yeah like um again i i can i i felt that on a pretty deep level cuz like you know we we of course we look for practical ways to help people when you know it's difficult to help them and 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 i have the i've had a similar experience you know like i won't get into the heavy detail but yeah like my mom passed away a few years back and and there was just just some conversations that i really wished we had you know and and um but yeah it's the same kind of thing and yeah. um and and like you really have to try to um as uncomfortable as it is i mean you really have to try to to broach these topics if you can if you can find the courage in any way you know um before yeah. it's too late yeah 100% and i mean you know one of the things like yeah I, so you know for for context for listeners my my uh, very briefly my you know my sister had uh an amputation um that was related you know in her 20s that was related to a childhood cancer um and as a result of that she was on pain meds for uh, opiates for phantom limb pain for the 10 or so years uh, before her death. Um, and, and I, I think in retrospect that like a big part of the story of her struggles during those years was an addiction to, to opioids um, and the havoc that they were wreaking in her life. And it was something that she was very, uh, as I think most people who deal with addiction are at some point evasive about it and a very, un, you know, uh, uh, in denial about it. And so were we, you know, as a result. And, um, so I mean, there were things I should have talked to her about that I didn't even quite see clearly, but even the alcohol element, which was part of her, her struggle, um, like, so I talked to her. Uh, I brought it out at certain points and was, and was like, listen, like we got to talk, you know, this is what I see and da, da, da. And, and we had some incredibly heartfelt, uh, conversations. And this is the really, um, the really difficult thing, Glenn, I think, um, especially with addiction is that, you know, sometimes you do that and then the veil descends the next day again, you know right. what I mean? That is to say, like you go there, you unpack everything, you make resolutions, you know, whatever, whatever, but those mechanisms and those habits of denial are so strong uh, as well as the addiction itself that like the person is just kind of like subsumed back into it. And it's, it's not always clear what, what you can do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, which is not to say you shouldn't try, but it's, you know, uh, or keep trying, but like sometimes it's, 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 it's really, I think anyone who deals with addiction would say 
you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to know what to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and no matter how many books you read or how many, um, self-help or, or, um, no matter how much literature is out in the world, um, the, the, the thing about it is that, you know, you have to put yourself in a very uncomfortable position, I think, um, ultimately, uh, you know, and, way, you and, know. and I think, yes, you have to put yourself in a, 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 a sorry, I don't, I don't want to steamroll over you. You were saying, no, 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 go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have to put yourself in an uncomfortable position and, and I think this is what I was trying to get at with the thing about my, my grandmother, you have to somehow find a way to keep it heart centered. It has to be centered in that relationship that with that person, the, the love that you have for them. So, you know, the, the, you know, when you're talking to someone about, about difficulty, it can't, it can't be this kind of like, I mean, the idea of tough love, I guess I understand that that's a form of love, but it, whatever, whatever it sounds like, it has to be anchored in actual love. It has to be anchored in your concern for this person. And it cannot be, um, a kind of, uh, militaristic authoritarian attempt to, you know, control their life, like from some intellectual place where you, where you know that that's to their benefit. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a tightrope, like, but it, ha it has to be first about love always. And they have to feel that or yeah. it, or it has no benefit or effect, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, sorry to, you know, talk about, you know, we're on the precipice of a weekend here on a Friday afternoon and here I've dragged you into all these heavy, I, heavy conversations. I, I, as, as, as you, as you know, um, being the kind soul that you are, who have, who have, um, you know, uh, really done your homework, read my book twice and listened to all those podcasts. Um, I'm always, I'm always up for the real conversation, you know, at any time I, and I don't find it depressing. I mean, when I was in high school, the music I loved most was the cure and the Smiths. And I remember I was at an all boys school and I was constantly getting, um, sort of bullied about how these were like sort of weepy emotional bands. I mean, these were for anyone who doesn't know those bands that might be listening to this. I mean, I assume they do, but if they don't like they were the precursor to, I guess what's called emo now, um, or shoegaze or something, but emotional, uh, men, you know, singing about their, their feelings. And, um, and, uh, and those, that music, just like later on the music of the Mississippi Delta or, um, you know, or, or, or most of Turkish folk music that I've heard through my wife, like, which is about difficult and sad things. Like it fills me with joy. There's nothing more, joyful to me than to be like anchored in in what's real and i'm not saying like there's never a time to lighten up and watch a silly um tv show or whatever but like yeah i'm i'll never i'll never rebuke anyone for 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 talking about what's real yeah yeah absolutely yeah i i, I listen to a lot of um pretty sad music too and i can relate to that like it you know it um it does bring me immense comfort so um all right. Um, I think we have about, I don't know, 10 or so minutes left here. Um, I just cool. wanted to, I just wanted to talk about, um, so I, I'm, I'm a real novice in terms of, um, 
psychedelics and um mm. yeah and you know i've i've done mushrooms you know a bunch recreationally but never with any sort of intent i've done acid a couple of times and and that was disastrous um okay um you know bad trips and and, and whatnot but i i've always been curious and not in um and and not in a a bro way or something, but, uh, <laughs> but I've just, I've always been curious about ayahuasca and just what, what it could do, you know, what, what, like what sort of, yeah, in, in terms of, of, uh, of healing. And I was just wondering if you could speak about your experiences with that and just, yeah. 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 So, um, absolutely, you know, do not advocate approaching anything in a bro way, mm-hmm. but, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Ayahuasca, yeah. ayahuasca, just, just like the earlier psychedelics has gotten associated in a lot of people's minds with a kind of culture that's grown up around it. Right. Um, so the early, you know, mushrooms and acid for, for my parents, uh, who are like a little older than the hippies was associated with a lot of stuff that they, they don't want to culturally associate themselves with, you know, sort of sloppiness, messiness and chaos, Um, you know, and ayahuasca has been, you know, a big favorite in among Silicon Valley uh, uh, startup people. And so it's, yeah, whatever. Um, But, but um, I was immensely gratified to learn that my, uh, you know, one of my musical heroes, Paul Simon, um, after his, the musical that he uh, did called the Cape man, which the music is absolutely beautiful, I think, but it was a disaster on Broadway. Um, and by the way, my dog is behind me chasing my cat. So apologies for any noise there. Um, <laughs> uh, but after that crashed, um, he went down to South America. Uh, he was totally devastated. It was a financial and a creative loss on an, a scale he'd never experienced before the failure of that Broadway musical. Um, he went down to South America um, and sat in sat in on a few ayahuasca ceremonies, um, which is something he'd encountered earlier uh, when he was making the album Rhythm of the Saints. But this time he said it is what he feels saved him. It is what brought him back to himself, anchored him back in himself and wow. enabled him to go on making music. Um, so the album, She's the One that he made after that, which has a couple of absolutely beautiful songs on it. Um, yeah, was a direct result of that. So that was very much my experience as well was that, you know, ayahuasca opened up for me, um, in these ceremonial settings, uh, where it's very intentional and you're not just wandering around somewhere and, um, and the practitioners, you know, who are leading the ceremony are, are, are responsible and are making sure everyone is safe and whatever um, that, that it opened up uh, emotional pathways in me that had been closed specifically, as I write about in the book with respect to my ability to mourn for my sister and to connect with her um, after her death and my memories of her and my feeling of her. Um, But in, 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 in so many ways, it reconnected me with uh, gratitude and with love uh, for the people in my life. And um, yeah, it's, I don't know how to explain how it works. And I don't know that, I don't know that functionally it's profoundly different from other psychedelics. I mean, uh, 
it's the first psychedelic that I had ever used in a situation in a meditative context where I'm alone with the experience, although I'm sitting in a room with other people and somebody, there's a person leading it who's kind of singing um, in Spanish and in like um, South American languages uh, that, that, that um, you're alone with your thoughts, you're meditating, you're going through the experience by yourself. Yeah. And that's the first time I'd done that with a psychedelic. And that, that may be a big part of the, the reason why that experience is, is, is so spiritually profound. Yeah. Did, did you ever feel at any point like out of control? No, no, no I didn't. Now there were people in the settings that I was in um, where who, who did start to like get really anxious and upset and whatever, but a good, if the leaders are good, the practitioners are good, right. They take that person aside. Cause if they're making a ton of noise, it's it, it, everyone else's experience becomes about that. Right. So they gently take that person to another area, you know, another room, whatever. And they, and they work with them through it. You know, they, they kind of counsel them through it. They're present through it. They listen to what the person is saying. They give them, you know, feedback and gentle physical contact. It's very important to vet the practitioners and to, to, to get recommendations and to understand like where, what the, the organization is that you're walking into. Right. I mean, in South America in particular, there are many, because it's a predatory situation both ways sometimes with exploitative that is to say with like westerners coming down and exploiting those traditions and with um you know people in people of uh you know peru or or um yeah ecuador or other places where they're where they're leading ayahuasca ceremonies um sometimes uh unethical practitioners uh you know are come uh, start start companies yeah. for tourists and so there have been sexual assault situations you know there there like women in particular have been victimized um and you just have to make sure that you're in good hands wow yeah um, that's crazy yeah. that's really important right yeah. but assuming that you've done that that research and you've talked to a couple of people who have done ceremonies with this person before and you know that it, you know it's it, it's 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 safe then like going through a a difficult experience does not necessarily, and, and in almost every case I've ever heard of, does not mean a bad experience. You go through the difficulty, you go through the challenge, you go through the fear. Ayahuasca brings up lots of things. You know, it takes you off into dark places inside yourself. You go through it and then you come out on the other uh, side and, and, in every case I've seen people come out lighter, they come out stronger. Um, I would also point out that, that it's useful to do it over one night, often these over more than one night. Sorry. Okay. Um, often these ceremonies are organized to take place over a couple of days. And, um, and so you do a ceremony one night, you have the next day to kind of rest. Uh, sorry, my cat is, Hitting the, hitting the mic. <laughs> My cat was hitting the microphone stand. Um, uh, and 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 that is actually enormously valuable because sometimes you, someone might have like often the first night is a kind of clearing experience, and so sometimes people have a difficult first experience that first night, 
And then it, in a way it kind of clears them out and then they come back to it the next night and they have an incredibly profound, positive experience. So, so they're, you know, like I would say to people, if they do have a difficult experience the first night, assuming they're in a safe setting, that they, that they not run away, that they show up as it were for the, for the second night. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to close it out. Um, so yeah, definitely check the Yelp reviews for your ayahuasca shaman. <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Um, uh, we'll, we'll end it there. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on here. I had a great time talking to you and I, um, like I say, I've gotten a lot out of your work and, uh, um, feel some similarities between us. And, and I just, I, I, it was, I just, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I've, I, I've, I, I've gotten a lot out of it. I can't tell you, Glenn, how, how much it means to, you know, you put work out in the world and like, you know, online reviews are the last thing you should read it. it I can't tell you how much it means to, to get, have direct contact with people who are, who, who resonate with, who are moved by the things that you, that you're, you know, I'm trying to put out in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, I really, really appreciate your, your deep listening. And I'm so glad that, that it's, um, that it's mattered to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really inspiring. And, you know, it's opened up conversations between me and my, my, uh, my partner and, um, you know, like I, I just love, um, inspiring and, and stimulating stuff where you can, you know, you read something or you consume a piece of art and you can talk about it, talk about other people's experiences. It's uh yeah, definitely what you want to get out of, out of a book or something like that. So it makes us less alone. And I think like more than almost anything in this world right now, what we all need is to be less alone. Yeah, that's, that's for sure, man. All right, man, take care and uh, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Well, the Mississippi Delta is shining like a national guitar. I'm following the highway down the river through the cradle of the Civil War. I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland. Poor boy, pilgrims with families, and we are going to Graceland. And my traveling companion. He's nine years old and he's the child of my first marriage And I have a reason to believe we all will be received in Graceland She comes back and tells me she's gone As if I didn't know that As if I didn't know my own bed As if I never noticed she combs her hair off her forehead She says losing love is just a window in your heart Everybody sees you blown apart And everybody sees the wind blowing Whoa, 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 Graceland I'm going to Graceland And my traveling companion Ghosts in empty sockets I'm looking at ghosts of empty Reasons I cannot explain This part of me wants to see Graceland There's a girl in New York City Well, she calls herself a human trampoline When 
whenever I am falling, flying, tumbling in turmoil, I see oh, so this is what she means. And she means we're bouncing in a graceland. And she says, losing love is just a window in your heart. Everybody sees you blown apart and everybody sees the wind blowing. Oh, oh, Graceland, I'm going to Graceland. I may be obliged to defend every love and every ending. Maybe there's no obligations now. I cannot explain, but some part of me wants to see Graceland. I'm going in Graceland I'm going in Graceland I'm going to Graceland I'm going to Graceland